Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Hey church, before I dive in today, I just wanna remind us all to continue to pray for those in our community with COVID as the numbers continue to go up. Pray for our local and state officials that are working tirelessly to figure out steps forward to mitigate it. And let's not forget about our frontline healthcare workers who are once again feeling significant strain and impact on their families. And let's do this. Come on, let's not just say that we're gonna pray, but let's actually do it. In fact, why don't we just pause right now and do it? Because I I hate it when people say, I'm gonna pray for you, and you know they're not gonna do it, right? It's like, you're not gonna pray for me. So that's why I'll stop, and I'll pray for you right there on the spot. Or if you text me, you know, pray for so-and-so, I'm gonna text you back a prayer right then and there. Or else I'm gonna forget, right? I'll start thinking about college football or something. I'll forget that you need prayer. So let's right now, let's pause, and let's pray for those. Father, in the name of Jesus, We ask that you would heal our land. God, we ask that you would bring wisdom to those that are working uh, tirelessly to try to figure out the steps to take moving forward. We ask that you would supernaturally eliminate this virus. Why not ask for big and bold prayers, God, that you would heal people in Jesus' name. God, that you would give us us wisdom, God, right now, that you would protect the families uh, in our city and in this nation, God, from from the virus further impacting their lives, especially, God, as we move into a holiday season. God, would you cover us? Would you give us grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, how many of you know that things don't always add up? What are you talking about? Let me give you an example. Uh, It might help you better understand what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever looked at a guy and then looked at the girl that's with the guy, looked back at the guy and thought, that just doesn't add up. Come on, be honest, right? You've thought that, like stop lying. Some of you have thought that about me. Like you've looked at me and then you've looked at my beautiful wife and you thought, huh, something just doesn't add up there. I know, right? Is because she married me for my money. When we got married, you know, 22 years ago, 23 years ago, I was making $9 an hour at SeaWorld. Some things just don't add up. If you need further proof that things don't always add up, take a look at this. Remember this guy right here? Come on, that doesn't add up, right? Because this is Screech and Lisa. Lisa is beautiful. Come on, she was fine. Uh, but Screech, you know, it's just, it's just weird looking. It just... It just doesn't add, add up. Maybe some of you have experienced this in your personal life. You've had a goal. And when you sat down and you looked at it logically and thought through it all, it just, it just doesn't make sense, but, but it happened anyway. Like it just didn't add up. I'm entitling this message, It Doesn't Add Up. There were some churches in the region of uh, Macedonia, and the Bible says that they had some things going on that just didn't add up. Take a look at it with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, real quick, the Macedonian church was made up of a church in a town called Philippi, a church in a town called Thessalonica. Uh, perhaps you've seen some of those letters that were written to the Philippians and, and Thessalonians, uh, and also a church in Berea. These churches make up the Macedonian region of churches that Paul planted. 
Because, and you know this already, there's only one church. There are different expressions of that church, but there's only one, right? The, the big C, capital C, church is not just about our church. It's that God's building his kingdom through the church. And so in this region of Macedonia, the Bible talks about what's happening at this point in history. And it says that they had a grace that God had given them this grace in the middle of some hard times. Check it out in verse two. It says, in the middle or in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Look at that. They were in a severe trial. They had uh, extreme poverty, but they also had this overwhelming joy that led to this, this rich generosity. Somebody say, this doesn't add up. And I want to capture this because sometimes I think we, we read the, the historic text and go, hey, you know, they had some bad stuff happening. They had some trials. They were poor. You know, they had a, a joy and a generosity even in the middle of it. But these were not minor trials that they were facing. It wasn't like they posted a picture on Facebook and no one liked it. I mean, for some of you, that's a severe trial. No one commented on the, the picture that I posted of my child. They were super cute, but no one said they liked it. Now I'm hurt. Like, this is not what it's talking about. And it wasn't that they went to work one day and their boss was a, a little hard on them. Some of us, like, we have a bad day at work and we're like, man, I, I'm just really going through it. I think the devil's after me. He's probably not. Let's be honest. Sure, you might have some bad days, but maybe you just needed another Red Bull or, or maybe you needed some more coffee in the morning or maybe you should have turned in your Q3 report on time. I don't know. Maybe that would have helped you not have a bad day. But it probably wasn't the devil. It says they were going through severe trials and they were going through trials because of their faith in Jesus. They were being ostracized from their community. They were being ostracized from their places of employment. The people in the region of Macedonia, they depended on their ability to trade and to trade things. And because of their faith in Jesus, they were unable to trade. So their income took a massive hit. Their livelihood was impacted by their faith. Let me just tell you, if your ability to survive and make a living is being blocked because of your faith, or you're being persecuted for your faith, then you could say, I'm going through a severe trial. Are you with me? It wasn't like they had a bad day at the office. It's like they didn't go to the office because they didn't have a job. That's what this is talking about. And they didn't have a job because they placed their faith in Jesus. It's not like a, a severe trial where they had to cut down from, from two-a-days at Starbucks. See, some of you thought two-a-days were only in sports. And some of you do two-a-days at Starbucks. You're there in the morning, and then you're there again on your way home. It wasn't like that. It says they were going through a severe trial. But it also says this, they had extreme poverty. They were experiencing extreme poverty. It wasn't that they didn't get to buy a few of the Christmas gifts that they really wanted. No, it was that they didn't have any Christmas at all. It wasn't that they couldn't move into the neighborhood that they wanted to move into. Like, I don't even know if some of them had homes, extreme poverty. And then the Bible says this though, overflowing with joy. So let's back up. Severe trial, extreme poverty, overflowing joy, and rich generosity. This doesn't add up. There was something about them that allowed them in the middle 
of great trials to have joy. And this joy led to what? It led to rich generosity. So the math, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, is severe trial plus extreme poverty plus over, you know, flowing joy equals rich generosity. Somebody please say it doesn't add up. But the Bible says that God had given them this grace so that they had something steadfast. They had an anchor that didn't allow the storms of life to just toss them around to and fro, that they had this joy. How many of you know there's a difference between joy and happiness? If you don't know, I'm gonna tell you. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is temporary. It's fleeting. Happiness happens when when things are good in your life. When, When good things are happening, you're happy. When, when things are bad, you're not so happy. So happiness is dependent upon what's happening to you. It depends on the circumstances you are in, but joy. Like joy is something different. Joy is something that's anchored deep within you that allows you to have a consistency in the middle of your trials. It's not dependent upon what's happening to you. Are you with me? Joy is when your circumstances, whether it's a, a school closing or your mask on or mask off. It's a, you, whether you're gonna travel for the holidays, you have to suspend that, or it's, or it's this COVID testing or layoffs at work. It says it doesn't determine your emotional state. It doesn't determine whether you are up or down. It is in spite of those things, I can have a joy that is overflowing in the middle of my trial. And Paul writes that they had rich generosity in the middle of it. It doesn't say that God has given them a grace as they were coming out of extreme poverty. It didn't say that God had given them this this grace when, when the pandemic was over or when things began to go back to normal. It didn't say that. It didn't say God was giving them a grace and all their trials were, were going away, all their problems were evaporating and, and they were getting an infusion of cash, maybe some government relief. No, the Bible says God gave them a grace in the middle of their trial. Somebody say in the middle. Come on, play along online. In the middle of it. Here's what I believe. That it's in the middle of the issues in life that your faith is forged. And how many of you know right now, this is a faith forging season in our life. Uh, The question for you is, what's your faith being forged in? In the middle of trials is where your, your faith is forged. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in the middle, like not where you were, but also not exactly where you want to be. And maybe some of you are there now. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in the middle, not where you used to be, but certainly not where you dream to be. I found that in the middle is a place where, where dreams can die. I've, I've found that in the middle is where your, your faith gets attacked. I found that in the middle season, it's difficult to have an overwhelming, overflowing joy. But the Bible says in the middle of severe trials and extreme poverty, they had an overflowing joy that led them to what? Rich generosity. Again, it just doesn't add up. But here's what I believe that the churches in Macedonia discovered, that it's in the middle that you have to live it out the most. That it's in the middle where, where you see what you are made of and how you respond in the middle determines if where you are is where you'll stay. 
It, it determines whether or not your current location is your final destination or it's just something that you're, you're simply passing through, how you respond in the middle. In fact, if I could be so bold, I'll say it like this. In the middle is where you grow up in your faith. It's the middle. It's the place between where you used to be and the place you want to be. It's the place where God forges some things and, and fashions some things in your life. It's where you learn to get roots dug down deep in your life. You're not just tossed and, and blown around by every little thing that, that comes along. And it's not the, the, I feel good today, I don't feel so good today. I feel great today, I don't feel so great today. It's not that, it's that you can walk through hell and have joy whenever you've been grounded in some things, but your faith never gets grounded if you quit in the middle. And so Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, which by the way, is an affluent church. It's kind of like the, the American church. And he says, I want you to know about the grace the, that God gave these people in Macedonia, that, that out of severe trial and extreme poverty, the overflowing joy and rich generosity has come out of it. He said this in verse three, four, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and check this out, even beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. In other words, they stretched themselves in the middle of their trial. Do you see that? They didn't just give out of, out of what was reasonable. They gave out of revelation. You know what the difference is? Reason says, here's what I can do. But revelation says, here's what God is telling me to do. Reason, reason doesn't require faith. Reason just requires you to, to come up with something that, that makes sense, to come up with something that adds up. But revelation says, God, I wanna hear from you. I wanna hear your voice in my life, maybe in a way that I never have before, and I want to obey that revelation that you've given me. In fact, the root word of revelation is simply reveal. It's not like some super spiritual or some super religious term. It just means reveal. And when something is revealed to you, it's like the, the light bulb moment. When something clicks in your understanding, something that, that perhaps was hidden has now been uncovered. But reason, reason says, I'm just gonna do what I, I think I can do. Revelation says, I wanna do what God has revealed to me to do. Because if God's revealed it to me, then God's gonna, gonna do it through me. And if he has led me to it, then God will lead me through it. And here's what I really believe. God is not obligated to meet needs through you that are based on your reason. However, he is obligated to do something through you that's based on his revelation. Because if he reveals it to you, then he's responsible to provide it for you and to resource it through you. I'll say it this way. If God has made it known, God will make a way. And so this church gave an offering based on, on revelation, not based on, on reason. And it says that they gave beyond their ability. In other words, they did it in faith. In fact, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So when we do things that are devoid of faith, that doesn't please God. But when we operate in faith, we find ourselves in a place where we are pleasing God. So these churches operated from a, a place of faith. Man, I don't know about you, but I wanna be a person 
that when the story is written about my life, now, that sounds super prideful. I don't actually believe there's gonna be a story written about my life. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, if there was a story written about my life, I want it to be written that I lived by faith. Because faith people change the world. People that walk by faith are are remembered throughout history. People that live by faith make a, a difference in the lives of others. Those are the stories that people tell. See, nobody's telling the story about the person who was filled with doubt and fear. And nobody's telling the story about the person that was bitter or stingy. I have never heard a commencement speech where someone got up and said, I wanna talk about Carl. Carl was super stingy. Carl never took a risk. Carl never stepped out in faith. See, that doesn't happen. Why? Because Carl didn't do anything. Like, no one remembers Carl. And I apologize to all the Carls that could be listening right now. In fact, I'll give you a biblical example. In the Old Testament, there were 12 spies that were sent out to survey the promised land. And it's promised, by the way, E-D. I wasn't great in English, but I do know that E-D means past tense. In other words, God had already promised it to them, promised to give it to them. It was theirs for the taking. And so they they sent in 12 spies to kind of check out the land to see what they were about to move into and, you know, to see how many pools there were and how, does it have any hot tubs? Are there any golf courses in Jericho? And so they would bring back a report of what it looked like. Well, they come back and two of them, and you know which two I'm talking about, Joshua and Caleb. Remember those names? You know why you've heard those names before? Because they were the only two that came back and said, we can do it. Because they were people of faith. Like, we can do it. We can take the land. The giants are big. Yes, they they outnumber us, but God is on our side. We can do it. The other 10, they doubted. And they spread a bad report throughout Israel. That's what the Bible says. And none of the Israelites of that generation ended up making it into the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. Because they believed by faith that they could take the land. But here's the deal. You can't name the names of the other 10. And nobody's naming their children the names of the other 10. But I bet you know somebody named Joshua. I bet you know somebody named Caleb. Why? Because people tell stories about people of faith. Nobody remembers the doubters. Nobody remembers people that that don't make some kind of, of difference, some kind of impact, and without faith, You don't change the world. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want my life to be marked by faith. Joshua, he was also the guy that stood up at at Gibeon when there was this battle raging and the sun was was going down and he thought to himself, if I just had a little more time, you know, a little more daylight, then I could win this battle. And so in great faith, he stood up and said, God, would you make the sun stand still? Come on, how about an audacious prayer? Would you make the sun stand still over Gibeon? And the Bible says that the sun stood still. There was never a day like it before or after. And Israel won the battle. I think about David, a teenage boy, you know, who was bringing his brothers some food. He saw a giant, heard him making fun of the armies of the living God, said, who is this giant to make fun of the armies of of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? He's he's talking about the one true God. I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna take him out. And Saul tried to give him his armor, but David said, no, 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 I gotta go down there with what God has given me, you know, which was a sling and some stones. And he walked into the valley and faced the giant. Like, I wanna be somebody that walks by faith. I wanna be a church 
that walks by faith. I wanna be like the Macedonian churches, that no matter what's going on around me, I have something inside of me that, that sustains me. I have an anchor that holds in, in who God says I am and in what God says I can do. Like I wanna be like Peter, that even though he sank, at least he stepped out of the boat, onto the water. See, some of us never even try. And I would at least wanna try, even if I fail, I wanna try, I want to walk by faith. And this Macedonian church, the churches there, the example we're looking at, they were some bad mamma jammas. Like I wouldn't mess with them. In fact, I bet they made the devil mad. The devil's like severe trial, and they're like joy instead. Extreme poverty, and they're like, we're gonna have joy. As a matter of fact, you wanna throw us, you know, poverty at us, we're gonna get crazy generous. And said, I bet the enemy was scratching his head going, why can't I do anything to these people? I threw severe trial at them and they have joy. I threw poverty at them and they get generous. Like, what are we going to do with this crazy crowd? I'm gonna tell you what we do with those kinds of crazy people. You change the world with those people. You make a difference in the cities and in the schools and in the homes and communities with crazy generous people like that. God, help us to be like the Macedonians. Then when my life is good, I've got joy and generosity, but even when life is hard, I still have joy, I still have generosity. And Paul said in verse three that they gave more, in fact, than they expected. And it says they gave entirely, look at this, on their own. This wasn't manipulated, it wasn't coerced, in fact, most scholars believe that Paul was going to excuse them from the offering altogether, that he knew the situation, he knew the, the trials that they were facing, and he wasn't even going to reach out to them for the offering in the first place. He, he was gonna say, hey, there's gonna be another time for expansion. You don't need to be a part of this, you know, but, but check it out in verse four. What does it say? It says that they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service. They urgently pleaded, God, send me a church full of those people, right, that urgently plead for the privilege in sharing in this, this service. These are the people that are like, no, 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 let's give the offering first. Like, I don't wanna sing, you know, I don't wanna hear the message, I just wanna give, you know, pass the bucket, you know, dear God, let us give. Come on, what a church. You can change the world with those kinds of people. He said they saw it as a privilege and they, they pleaded for the privilege to give. They pleaded with him. In other words, they're, they're texting Paul like, hey, Paul, you're not gonna leave us out of this. Like we heard about this offering for advancement. You're not gonna let us miss out on this opportunity. So Paul's getting emails, he's getting calls. Like I heard you're taking an offering. You didn't even call to let us know to be a part of it. Have you lost your mind, Paul? Like after all that God has done for us, like we want to share in the privilege. Like here we are in the middle of severe trial, but he's given us joy. Here we are in the middle of extreme poverty, but he's given us the spirit of generosity. You are not gonna steal our blessing, Paul. Like, like wow. These aren't the people that, that slip out the back of the church before the offering time. These aren't the people that, that put an empty offering envelope into the until Jesus runs this town offering has been done. The, these aren't the people that, that when I talk about giving, cross their arms and get all tight in their cheeks. And I'm not talking about these cheeks right here. 
Did I say that out loud? See, sometimes I think things in my head, I don't know if it comes out my mouth or not. No, these are the people. These are the ones that wanna be on the front row when you teach on generosity because they know firsthand the blessing that comes from giving. And they said, we find it a privilege. See, I think most of us, we don't see giving as a privilege. We see it as a, a burden. And we see it as a burden because we don't have a correct perspective on generosity. Can I, can I tell you this? This is gonna help some of you. See, we think generosity is us initiating something with God. But can I tell you, you have never initiated anything in your relationship with God. The Bible says that when I was lost, in my trespasses, in my sin, that Jesus came and died for me, like he initiated it with me. And so even in my giving, like I don't initiate you know, generosity because the Bible says that God alone gives me the ability to gain wealth. He gave you the ability to even earn the money that you have. He gave you that ability so you're not even initiating in generosity. And when we have a correct picture of giving, it's not a burden to give. It's a privilege to give because it's a, a privilege to give back to the God who has given everything to us. In fact, most of us look at giving through three different lenses. Write these down. We look at it through the lens of, of first of all, I have to give. I have to give. See, some of us think that, that we have to give, that God is going to, to get us if we don't give, so I have to give. Or the church will know. You know, if I, if I don't give, so I have to give. Or, or ministry will stop if I don't give, so I, I have to give. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't say it this way, but what's beneath that perspective on giving is that somehow God is impressed with our generosity. Can I give you two deep theological truths? You should write these down. Uh, you may have to think about them for a long time because they're so profound. But first is this, you have never, made an amount of money that has impressed God. Like never. You've never made enough. You've never had enough. You've never gathered enough or saved enough, right? That God goes, wow, I sure like to get a piece of that. That's a lot of money right there. So because of that, it's not the size of our gift that matters. It's the size of, of the sacrifice. And secondly, God cares more about the motive in your generosity. See, God's not after your money. God is after your heart. He's unapologetically after your heart. And your position on money is a reflection of the posture of your heart. And some people think that I, I have to give. And some people even teach, I just can't find it in the Bible anywhere, this idea that I give to get. That if I give God a dollar, that God's gonna give me 10 back. Like he's some kind of ATM machine that multiplies my money. God is a God of multiplication. And he can multiply the blessings in your life. But it's not like I stick a dollar in him and he spits out a 20. I don't care what you've been taught. That's not in the Bible. And here at this church, we're just going to stick with what the Bible says. So some people see it through this lens of I give to, to get something in return. No, we give with open hands. We give with open hearts because, again, the truth is whatever God has placed in your hands, it belongs to him. So if he asks for it, then he's got a purpose in asking for it. And so you give it, no strings attached. 
Now that doesn't mean like you, you shouldn't be wise about where you give. You should be a good steward with the resources that God has given you. You should give towards places that, that will maximize your generosity for the glory of God, not that will siphon it off for personal gain, but you give with open hands. Because the final way to look at generosity is this, that we get to give. Man, I get to do this. In other words, generosity, like the Macedonian church believed, is our privilege. It's our privilege. It's one of our core values here at this church, that I don't have to give, that I don't, I don't give to get something. No, I get to give. That when I look at all that God has done for me, it's an honor to return something to him. I get to do it. And Paul said that they gave, they gave generously, and they urgently pleaded for that privilege to give. And then in verse five, it says this, they look at it, they even exceeded our expectations. And that they gave way more than we even expected. They gave of themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the, the will of God also to us. Verse six says this, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, which is simply a, a way of saying, or, or started this conversation with you before, to bring also to completion. Somebody say, to finish it. To finish it, to bring it to conclusion, to completion, this act of, of grace. So giving is an act of grace on your part. And verse seven says, but since you excel in everything, Look at this, you excel in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, meaning that the love that you have for us, he says, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul is telling this church in Corinthians, uh, he's saying, hey, hey, you guys are great at some things. Man, you are brilliant. You have so much going for you. You're an affluent Corinthian church. It's kind of like he's saying, Elevate, you're an affluent American church. You got great music. See, I think Paul would come into this church and be like, man, that Dave Perkins, man, he's so talented. It's, it's amazing. That, that army of volunteers that you have that serve every single week, like week in and week out, wow, there's not another group like them. The way you love your city, I mean, you have some amazing things going for you. The way you are for Erie, that you just collected enough food to feed 2,000 plus people through the Thanksgiving outreach of the city mission, that's, that's amazing. The free Christmas like toy drive through are you kidding me? Like, who does that? The way you're gonna help make a horrible year special for literally thousands of children in this city and around the world through other partnerships that you have. Paul's like, listen, you do so many things great. But he says, make sure that you also excel in this grace of giving. And he goes on to say this in verse eight. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. So this isn't like, hey, I'm trying to twist your arm. But he says this, don't miss it. But I do wanna test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. This is... This is Paul, and he's not trying to, to pit the two churches against each other. He's not like saying, hey, the Macedonian churches did this, and, and now it's your turn, you Corinthians. And the Macedonian church wasn't like, hey, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And the Corinthian churches, you know, yelling back to them, we got more. We got more. That's not what's happening here. 
He's saying, listen, I want you to look at the earnestness of the Macedonian churches. Look at their situation, extreme poverty, severe trials, yet overflowing joy and rich generosity. And you see the the context of what they're going through. And you and I can apply this to our own personal life and all that, that we're going through. And he says, hey, Corinthian church, you excel in a lot of things. You're an affluent church, but I want to test something. I want to test out, do you love the same way that they love? In other words, he, he's, he's saying, don't just say it, but show it. Do you love the same? Not do you give the same. Don't miss this. Do you love the same? Because if the Corinthians were to give the same as the Macedonians, it would not have been a sacrifice. They would, not, they, they would be giving out of, out of reason instead of revelation. But he's saying, do you love the same? And if so, don't just say it, but show it. The Bible does say, hey, we should should say it. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's good to say things, saying I I love God, expressing how thankful I am to God, you know, verbally for all that he's done for me. It's good to say it, but it also says that faith without works is dead. So we don't just just stop at the place of saying it. We gotta show it. That faith without works, faith without action, faith without movement in our life is dead. And so Paul's saying, hey, if that's the case, do you even really have faith? If there's not some kind of action attached to it, is it even really there? Now let me be clear. I am not saved by my actions or anything that I could do but because of my faith, I must take action. So don't just say it, but show it. And he goes on to say this in verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying, do you know the grace of God that's been given to you? Like, come on, for those of you that are even watching right now, that have have placed your faith in Jesus, you know firsthand the grace, the free gift of grace that God has, has given into your life, that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who was spiritually rich to become poor on your behalf so that you and I might become rich He became poor so that that we might benefit and become become rich. In fact, that's what's happened for nearly nine years in this church. That people who are spiritually poor, spiritually dead, have experienced this matchless grace of God and have now become spiritually rich and, and as a result have invited others into that same journey. Invited others who are spiritually poor to become spiritually Rich, who have now in turn invited others to become, uh, spirit, who has been, been spiritually poor to become spiritually rich, who have continued to invite others into that journey who are spiritually poor to become spiritually rich. God has literally changed thousands and thousands and thousands of lives because of the for God so love that he gave. His, his one and only son who was spiritually rich to become spiritually poor so that we might become rich. Spiritually And at the end of the day, I hope you understand that this this whole season is about 
uh, what the, the offering, the until Jesus runs a town offering is about. It's about people that are spiritually poor and spiritually dead that Jesus came to make spiritually rich and spiritually alive. I hope you don't ever mistake that this church uh, is about, about land or is about buildings because buildings will burn up. Buildings you can't take with you, but you know what you can take with you? People, people that were spiritually poor, that became spiritually rich, became alive in Christ. Like we are in the business of doing all that we can to, to populate heaven and empty out hell. And I never want it to be that as our church continues to grow that we just hear stories like Chris's and see statistics of all the people that have come to put their faith in Jesus and forget that every single number represents the name of a person whom uh, that for God so loved that he sent his son to give his life for. And we've said it for years now. That your favorite weekend here at Elevate Church is gonna be the weekend that you invite a friend or a family member, someone who's far from God. And when the, the invitation is given, and I say something like, like this, with every head bowed and, and every eyes closed, you know, but, but you don't. You know, you kind of look up and you kind of peek and you, you watch your friend as, as tears come down their face. And you watch as their, their hand shoots up, acknowledging the decision that they made. And you understand in that moment that you had a part in pointing them to Jesus. Like, my Lord, that's going to be your favorite weekend here at this church. And can I tell you something? That's what our year-end offering is all about. And so Paul goes on to say this in verse 10. So here's my, my judgment. It's his way of saying, here's my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Like last year, you guys did awesome. You were the first not only to give, but also to have the, the desire to do so. And so he says, now do this in verse 11, finish the work. Somebody say finish it. Somebody type that in the chat, finish it. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according, don't miss this, according to your means. According to your means. See, I believe if, if we all participate in this big year-end opportunity to give above and beyond according to our means, then we'll see God do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could dream or imagine. And so on December 5th and 6th, I'm asking you, that we'll come together on that weekend and bring our very best gift to advance God's mission through this church according to our means. We're gonna take this, this offering on this weekend in a special way, and, and here's, here's what I know. It's gonna be easy for you because we're not gathering in person to sit this one out, but here's my challenge. Don't skip out on it. In fact, if I could just be real and raw with you for a moment, I intentionally... Uh, don't want to have a keyboard come out. I don't want to start, you know, shading at the end of this message. I don't want any emotional kind of moment. I just want to be completely real and honest with you. Here's my challenge. Don't skip out on this. Like I know this is a season of, of severe trial and poverty, but here's what I believe. If we have this overflowing joy like it can show up in rich generosity. So don't miss out 
on what God is doing through this offering in this church. Because here's what I, I believe, even though the season is like no other, that as we, as we put God first and as we seek to give out of, out of revelation, not out of reason, that this church would overflow with joy and rich generosity. And because of that, this next year, 2021, will be a year like no other. That we will advance the mission and extend God's reach through this church like we never have before. And as a result, there's gonna be more stories like Chris's. There's gonna be more stories like the ones that you hear every single week. There are gonna be more lives changed, more eternities forever impacted because you obey God and because of your generosity. Here's what I, I believe, that as we just simply ask God, and you know we've never pressured you to give. The Bible says don't give under compulsion, but simply ask God what he would have you do and then just obey that as we do that, that God's gonna show up in a big way and we're gonna do immeasurably more through all that God has blessed us with. Would you pray with me, God? We ask that right now you would begin to speak to our hearts. God, that you would give us revelation as to what to, to bring that day. And if you've given us a, a revelation, if you've revealed something to us, God, that we know that you're gonna provide for it. You're, you're gonna make a way that you're not obligated to make a way for something that, that we think we can do reasonably on our own. But God, as you give us revelation for it, we know that if it's your will, it's your bill, and you're gonna make a way. And so God, we're just asking that you would speak to our hearts right now. And your word says that you love a, a cheerful giver. And so God, we know that joy can come from this act of, of giving. We know that, that joy is something that's, that's lasting, God, that's not something that, that is dependent upon our circumstance or our situation. But joy comes from our anchor being held in you and in you alone, God, no matter what it is that we're facing. And so, God, I pray that extreme joy and overflowing joy would rise up in our church in this season, and an outpouring of that joy would come through an action, God. Not that we just say it, but that we show it. Not that we just declare, God, our, our love for you, but there is a demonstration of that love for you because you demonstrated your love for us. For God so loved the world that you made an incredible demonstration by sending your son to die for us. And so, God, it's our privilege to, to demonstrate back to you our response of gratitude to the free gift of grace you've given us. And so, God, I pray that we would be a generous church. Thank you for the privilege that we have in giving. God, I also pray for those right now that are watching online that, that maybe you've never made the decision to allow Jesus to pay for your sins. In fact, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have an eternal life. And if you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe that in your heart, God's word tells us that we will have a new life in Christ, that we will be saved and set free, and maybe you've never made the most important decision in your life, but hearing stories like that of, of Chris's right now is, is the most impactful thing to you that's drawing you 
to put Jesus first. I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that. If that's you watching online right now, you can let us know by clicking that button that says, man, I wanna give my life to follow Jesus. And I wanna lead you in a prayer that does that. You can say something like this, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin so I could be a, a new creation in Christ that all the, the, the shame and the guilt can be removed and that I could start over. And so today I confess you as Lord. Why don't you just tell him that I confess you as Lord and I believe that God raised you from the dead so I could be saved. Take my life in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.